0: You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIW Hello,
1: welcome to The Investor Way with me, Sam Ball. It's the 11th of April, 2023, and I'm joined today by my co-host, John McEwen. In this week's episode, we'll be discussing A.G. Barr, J.D. Weatherspoon, Next, Admiral, Carnival, and our US company of the week is Kazoo. Although it's actually only operates in the UK, as we'll get to, but it's US <laughs> listed. John, shall we start with AG Bar? It's a
0: technology company.
1: Absolutely. Um, so,
0: not yeah, AG Bar, uh, though. No, no, that's very much not. Soft drinks maker, and well, I should say cocktails, too owner of Iron Brew and Funkin Cocktails they had their full year results out with revenue rising 15.9% on a like for like basis with total sales in the year reaching 317.6 million pounds driven by strong revenue growth across all of its core drinks brands Iron Brew Rubicon and Funkin Cocktails underlying operating profit moved up from 38.9 million pounds to 43.3 million pounds now, the margins fell from 14.9% to 13.6%, reflecting cost inflation, significant marketing spend, and the impact from acquiring the lower margin MoMA and Boost brands. Net cash fell from £68.4 million to £52.9 million, mainly due to acquisitions made last year. Free cash flow fell from £39.5 million to £22.9 million as the group invested in the newly acquired businesses. The group says it is now in an investment phase and it expects operating margins to fall in the short term as a result of continued investment, ongoing inflationary pressures and the initial diluted impact of the boost acquisition. It then expects operating margin to recover over the medium term. A final dividend of 10.6 pence per share brings this total for the year to 13.1 pence, which is a 9.2% increase on last year's dividend. The shares were down slightly in early trading. And in terms of valuation, AG Bar has a market cap of £569 million and trades at 17 times forward earnings with a prospective dividend yield of 2.8%. It was very impressive in terms of revenue growth and some innovation paying off with the existing brands like Rubicon moving to or into the energy drinks market and continued success with the Funkin' Cocktails brand too. I suppose one of the big questions is how the acquisitions will play out because they did pay a lot for both Boost and MoMA and the shares certainly aren't cheap. So things will have to go very well or they're likely to be burnt by it. And from a personal investor's point of view, you've got Britvic, which arguably has more growth ahead of it with the expansion in Brazil. Probably stronger brands too. And a lower valuation. So I, I it's probably not one for me, although I don't hate it. I think there are a few question marks over it. Sam, what are your thoughts?
1: I remember I think last time we looked at Britvic, I think their numbers were pretty good. In fact, I'll just have a look at them. So in the first quarter, looks like revenues were up seven point three percent in constant currency. So that is lower. But that's on the trading update, whereas this is for a different period. Uh, double-digit revenue growth across all units. So at the very least, they were similar. You know, so Breitvich was at double digits anyway, at the very least. PE is about 15 and a half, so it's cheaper. Like you say, I think it's got the better brands. I, I think the acquisitions AG Bar's done a good. I, I do like like the-, the MoMA one, which is like the oat milk or something like that. And I, I like the the Funkin' Cocktails as well. I think that's quite a good acquisition, but they're small, and it will take a long time before they actually contribute anything significant significant to the business. I think these are good results. If you're looking at it on its own, you probably say, "Oh, that's all right. It's got some decent brands." But once you once you compare it to Britvic, it's I think Britvic has the better brands. It's got the emerging markets exposure. It's got the higher dividend. I just think it's a case of opportunity cost of AG bar, although these are pretty good results. And I do quite like the acquisition strategy. Good enough for your watch list or? Probably not. It would probably have to be as good as or better than Britvic Britvik. On my watch list. I think is good enough, but then it's like, if it was yeah. going on, it, it would probably be Britvic coming off. Cause I wouldn't want two yeah. um, soft drinks makers. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, so, in the absence of BritVic, it might be, but with BritVic, it isn't. Yeah, okay. On
0: to um, a pub.
1: A pub? That's one way of putting it. J.D. see <laughs> probably the uh, biggest chain of pubs in the UK. They have come out with their half-year results, and half-year revenues were £916 million, which were up 13% on a like-for-like basis, and were also up against pre-pandemic levels. Online operating profit was thirty seven point four million, materially up from close to break even in the first half of last year. This is because costs grew at a slower rate than revenues. The group generated free cash flow of one hundred and sixty six million against a cash outflow of thirty four point five million last year. Net debt fell from nine hundred and twenty million to seven hundred and forty three point nine million. Sales are at fourteen point nine percent for the first seven weeks of the second half of the financial year. It's worth noting that although revenues above pre-pandemic levels, profitability definitely isn't due to the higher costs that they've suffering, which we did go into quite a bit of detail on the last time we covered them. Prices are up about 4% from last year, and they're hoping that they'll be able to keep their price rises below inflation. It is worth noting as well. They do exit from their price fixes later this year from their contracts that they'd hedged. However, compared to last time we did them on the show, the energy prices seem to have calmed down a little bit so it might look like quite a smart move actually so they're probably a bit better on that front than last time we covered them they're looking to sell over 30 pubs as they seek to increase their average size as well as the distance between them this should help increase average overall football and profitability it should also help them pay off some of the debt interesting as well one thing we didn't pick up on last time i think the net asset value is probably understated in the accounts because the property portfolio has not been revalued since 1999. So if they were to flog absolutely everything, you would probably get a lot more than what it states in the accounts. So I don't think we would picked up on that last time. In terms of the valuation, business trades at a forward P of 21, and that compares to a 10-year average of 19.7, and the for- prospective dividend yield is half a percent. Last time we covered this, we were very critical of it. I think which press concerns it might go bust. I'm probably like the the problem I've got with it is the net debt is far too high. So net debt is it's they've paid off a chunk of it, but it's still down to 743 million, and that's on underlying operating profit of 37.4 million. So if you assume the second six months will be as good as the first, it'll probably actually be better because you've got summer in there. So say they do 80 million underlying operating profits for the full year. With net debt of 740 million, that's still incredibly high as a proportion of operating profit. You might take the view, well, actually, they they can afford to have higher debt because their assets are much higher than what's in the account. So if they were to sell every pub, you would probably still be left with a decent amount of shareholders. But in terms of the actual business operations, I think, That is far too much debt. And the only way that they get rid of it is by selling pubs. Even if it was in a healthy state, I think that I wouldn't be interested in it because it's in such a tough industry. I like it as a consumer. But yeah, I think I take back what I said last time. I don't think they're going bust in the next few years. But I think think the only way to avoid it is to continue to sell off pubs. And then as to what state that leaves the business in, it's probably still not going to be in a state where I want to buy it. John, what are your thoughts on these results and the health of the business compared to last time?
0: I mean, pretty similar, slightly better than last time. But I think it would be summarized that, yeah, as a consumer, it's great and it's a great value proposition. But as an investor, wouldn't go near it. Huge, huge debt and lots of uncertainties and lots of uncertainties about the sector as a whole, I think, too. So, yeah. Not one for me.
1: One thing I was thinking when I was doing my research was where it says they're selling 30 pubs. Who's buying a pub off Spoon's? Like, I just think, like, imagine if you're wanting to get into, like, the pub industry and it's like, well, s- <laughs> Weatherspoons couldn't make it work here, but yeah. we'll give it a go.
0: It's a quite <laughs> a red flag man. there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it is, yeah. And unless it's been sold for other use. And I I, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know what, but yeah. Well, some um, of them are in good locations, they're in, like,
1: shopping centres and stuff like that. But I suspect yeah. they're
0: not the ones they're getting rid of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... But then also, if they're getting rid of those the ones the in less desirable locations, how much are they actually getting for them? More than ninety nine.
1: Yeah, but I'd be interested to see as well how much it does actually increase foot, footfall because a lot of time, yeah, I know you will look for like the nearest spoons, but if you have to go too far, you will find <laughs> yeah. something else. It's kind of like I know yeah. that sometimes it's like you know, if say you're in like the middle of Newcastle after a night out or something, and you've got you've got about five within a mile to choose from, you can get rid of one of them. But, you know, if you have to drive a few miles compared to like driving, say you have to drive four miles compared to driving eight, that might be enough to put you off. So I think they do need to be careful with which ones they sell. But I'm sure they will be. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Should we move on on to our next business? Yeah. And one favorite of the show, I would say, next, the clothing retailer had their full year results out with full year sales rising 8.4% to 5.1 billion pounds. And there was a growth in the retail and finance sales up 30 percent and 10 percent respectively, while online sales fell by 2 percent. Pre-tax profit rose 5.7 percent to £870 million, as higher profits in the retail and finance divisions more than offset a 23 percent decline in the online profitability. Free cash flow, including lease-related payments, fell from £464 million to £363 million. Net debt, including leases, rose 9.8% to £1.8 million. A final dividend of 140 pence per share has been announced, bringing the year's total to 206 pence. Share buybacks for the year totalled £228 million. Next expects full-price sales to decline by 1.5% for the year ahead and pre-tax profits to fall to £795 million. The shares were down on the announcement. In terms of valuation, Next trades at 13 times forward earnings and yields 3% as a market cap of around £8.3 billion. The full-year profits were ahead of what Next had previously guided And there was increase in retail sales, which are typically higher margin. And they did have a strong end of season sale. But I would wonder how much longer they can continue hiking prices before it sort of tempers demand. And they're a brand which I know we do like, but it isn't the strongest in itself. And they're sort of the middle of the road in terms of clothes, so going into these sort of tough, tougher times, as a retailer, I can't see it being easy, nor easy to hand hand on those costs. They've done well so far, but I think you're beginning to see that sort of come through. I would probably be holding off buying next at the moment and expect to be in for a bumpy ride, although of the retailers, clothing retailers certainly it's probably one of the highest quality that we have got listed. So I wouldn't be so confident to bet against it, but I don't think it's going to be easy times probably over the next year, 18 months. Sam, what are your thoughts on next?
1: I I think these results are pretty good. I think in this environment, uh, I wouldn't have expected them to be able to raise sales 8.4% for the issues that you highlighted. However, as you pointed out, that is starting to feed through and it's reflected in the guidance. So we are expecting a drop next year and a drop in the profits. But it is a very, very good business. The shares fell 6% when the news came out, and I suspect it is because of the guidance for next year. Even after that fall, though, it still had a good year. So the shares are up. They're actually up almost 40% in the last six months. But then it's still, it is still pretty cheap. So it's trading at a forward PE, of 13 and that's on that reduced guidance that compares to a 10 year average of 14 plus the yield would be at three percent and that is for what i think is a very good business and one thing you've got with next is because their their platform that they've built out is so good you've still got the label operation which where they can charge a commission for sales using their platform to other retailers so they've got like recent gap using them And what I like about that is I think that next at 13 times earnings, it's a very high quality business. There might be a tough couple of years ahead, but it's shown time and time again, what a consistently good business it is over half the sales come from online. You're getting a decent dividend. It doesn't really have to do much just to justify the current share price. And then on top of that, if labels just a huge if labels are any kind of success, I don't feel like that's really priced in at all. So I do appreciate your concerns in terms of the business performance, but I think the business, even after a forty percent rise in the last six months, I think it's so cheap. I think if you took a long term view on it, I I do really like this business, and it's one it's probably one of the businesses that's highest up my watch list in terms of ones that I like but don't own. But no, I I think these are good results. Guidance is disappointing, but in when you actually think about the type of business it is and the environment we're in, it's not overly surprising.
0: Yeah, and you make a good point on the valuation, that these concerns are reflected in it and it's not an expensive business. It is one of my favorite stocks that I don't own, but
1: I just don't <laughs> know if I want, I don't I know a lot of it's online and stuff, but I just I don't know if I want additional retail exposure. I think, already, I think Boohoo has burned me
0: pretty badly. I would have bought Next <laughs> instead of Boohoo, though. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, no, I would, well, ag- agree with you there. Okay, on to an insurer. We don't have many insurers on the show.
1: No, I try to avoid <laughs> Because they're hard to analyze. Um, however, we've got <laughs> one today. Uh, I think it might be a debut. I'm not sure. I don't remember ever doing it before. But Admiral, the insurer, they have come out with their full year results. And they reported revenue of $3.7 billion, which was up 5%. That was helped by an 11% increase in customer numbers to $9.28 million. Within that, net premiums rose 6.5% to $911 million. Profits before tax fell 39% to 469 million and that was bigger than expected, mainly due to increased claims and the cost of servicing those claims. In response to higher costs, prices were increased significantly in the UK and in the US. The group's combined ratio, which is a measure of insurance profitability. One of the reasons I don't like analysing them. Um, But for anyone who's not sure what this means, basically anything over 100% for the combined ratio suggests that they were losing money on the insurance they were underwriting in the period. So their combined ratio is 101.7% and that's up from 85.2%. So they are losing more money on the insurance. Well, they're actually now losing money on the insurance they're writing for the year. Pre cash flow rose from 175 to 367 million, and the solvency ratio, which is a measure of balance sheet strength, decreased from 195% to 180%. Surplus capital sits at 540 million over the regulatory requirements. The board has proposed full year dividends of 112p, and that's down 40% compared to last year. And the shares fell 7% on the announcement of the results. The international business was described by management as having very low average premiums, specifically in Italy and Spain, and the UK Motor Insurance is the largest division, accounting for over two-thirds of turnover. To combat the rising cost of claims, prices have been hiked by mid-single digits since the start of 2023 and are expected to keep rising, and they expect that trend to be seen in other divisions too. However, price actions did feed through to a decline in motor customers over the year. I think One of the issues I have with this is there's just absolutely... I know some of them market themselves quite well, but really there's absolutely no way to differentiate yourself. It's just such a competitive market. No one really has any loyalty to their insurer. They just look for the best deal. If I think of my own insurance, I think I was actually with Admiral when we went into the first lockdown and that was that period when no one was driving their cars and they gave 25 pounds back to all the customers i know a lot of insurers did do this but they gave me 25 quid back and i still switched the next year i don't know why they gave me the money back because it did <laughs> nothing to build loyalty i still switched any i remember forgetting it as well i was like oh that's really decent of them and then when it came <laughs> to switch i just went for the lowest price like it's just they, they should have just kept it <laughs> But anyways, but it's a good example of just how competitive it is. Because that was something where I genuinely was impressed with the way they'd handled themselves. And I thought they'd done like the honourable thing and stuff. And I still just switched first chance I got. And then in as well in 2022, they passed on 66% of their insurance to the third parties, which is basically reinsurers. So like big, big insurers, like for example, like Berkshire Hathaway's insurers, they will go and basically insure insurance companies hold books and it means like they know that like if they lose more than x amount or whatever they're getting that money back or they've passed it on and they know how much they're going to get so it takes a lot of the surprises away from them in terms of valuation the business trades at a forward p of 15.1 and then compares to a 10-year average of 16.4 and the prospective yield is 6.1 percent however the payout ratio is about 90 to 95 percent of earnings so if they do have another year like that and earnings drop again that dividend will be coming down unless they want to borrow to fund it, which isn't great either. So yeah, in terms of these results, well, the, the revenue is all right, but the problem is if they're not writing it profitably, then uh, it's, it's not really any good to anyone, is it? You're better off with less revenue and actually making a profit. So yeah, the, the profit before tax before tax falls disappointing of nearly forty percent. The combined ratio over hundred percent is concerning. And I just think it's a really, really tough industry anyway. And they're probably going to continue to struggle as well. So I uh, I wouldn't touch it. And I'd be very concerned about that dividend. Because yep. I just think, because it is basically all the earnings being paid out. If they do drop, which is a, there's a very good chance they could, then you're not going to be getting that 6% dividend you think you are. So I wouldn't touch it, but I probably wouldn't touch any insurer. <laughs> John, your thoughts on these results and the valuation?
0: Yeah, I mean, like you say, revenue increase was fine, but profits before tax down 39%. I was interested, I uh, appreciate you may not have the numbers to hand, but how that compared with some of the other big UK-listed insurers, whether they, it was sort of a similar picture across the board or whether it was Admiral having made some bad decisions, I don't know. I can have a quick yeah, look.
1: Good. So I don't know, I don't look at that many insurers. We have done a couple before. <laughs> yeah. Um but I do try and avoid them. However, I do know that Direct Line reported recently. Here it is. Direct line swings to full year loss. So this so this is okay. full year pre-tax loss of forty-five million. Davma profit of four hundred and forty-six the year before. I wonder what the revenue did. Oh, combined ratio's up as well. Similarly, it's it's over hundred mm. percent now, up from eighty-nine percent. So it was higher to start with and it's finished slightly higher, but it's gone up by about the same amount. It looks like they've written less insurance, which I guess if you're going to lose money on it, it's probably a good thing. So, yeah, it actually looks very, very similar, which I guess sort of proves the point as well. It's just so tough. and You're,
0: you're exactly the yeah. same as your competition. So on that basis, I probably wouldn't be looking at either. And I think it's something that does require some expertise too, to really, um, you know, really be able to analyse it properly. So no, not one for Sam.
1: I think that's a good point as well, because... You know, with with a lot of businesses, if you know what the margins are year to year, you can say, well, if they increase revenues by X percent, then, you know, how however much of this is going to feed through into profits and then into earnings. Whereas I, I think with an insurer, you know, they could, if Admiral wanted, they could very, very easily go out and double their revenue next year it would not be difficult. They just write cheap yeah. insurance and people will flock to yeah. them. But the problem is, if you're not doing it profitably, it doesn't really tell you anything because they have to be doing it in the right way. So it's it's such a hard business yeah. to measure. Yeah. And then you've got all these ratios, solvency ratios and stuff, which are quite difficult to. So easier avoided, I think.
0: Yeah. On to another business, which is easier to understand, but I'm not sure that it's going to appeal to you anymore, Sam. Carnival, which is the cruise liner, they had a Q1 trading statement out with revenues of $4.4 billion for the first quarter, which is 95% of pre-pandemic levels. But underlying net losses of $690 million, which were better than the December guidance, which was a range of between 740 and $850 million, And the better than expected outcome was driven by increased pricing, growth in the onboard sales and higher than expected occupancy. Carnival also generated $388 million of cash from operations in the quarter. That's before the $1.1 billion of capital expenditures and $700 million of debt repayments and $500 million of interest expenses. It's been a record quarter for booking in North America, Australia and Europe, and full year guidance is looking for underlying cash profits from operations EBITDA of between 3.9 and 4.1 billion dollars, but still expects the company to record a net loss of between 350 and 550 million dollars. In terms of valuation, Carnival has a market cap of £9.5 billion and trades at 0.1 times forward earnings compared with a 10-year average of 0.4. I don't think there's that much to say about Carnival. I would be staying away with a barge pole. It's got net debt of $30.5 billion, which is nearly eight times EBITDA. I wouldn't. Well, I don't like the industry as a whole, and I think the business is in a very precarious state. It's the it's the first and probably is it the first time we've covered this, Sam? We covered it once before. I think we've slagged them off before. If not, we've definitely done saga. Okay, Okay, fine, 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 fine. I was going to say it's the first and probably last time we'll cover it, but um, (laughs) maybe that's not true. Yeah, I don't think there's much redeeming. I suppose. Revenues coming back, and coming coming back a decent amount, but the rest of the balance sheet makes it uninvestable. I think. Sam, what are your thoughts on Carnival? Would you be going on a cruise looking at the shares? I'd be more likely to go on a cruise and buy the shares.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's similar, not similar, but you know, it's kind of like with what we were saying about Admiral. Revenue's all well and good, but you've got to make some money on it. So. You know, 95% revenue back to 95% pre-pandemic levels looks quite good, but then they are losing money, so not that good. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I wouldn't look any further than the debt. So once, I don't really like the underlying EBITDA as a measure. I prefer operating profit because it's, uh, they are meant to be the same, but you The problem is with underlying EBITDA, what you find is they've actually made all sorts of adjustments. I prefer the statutory operating profit. But if we assume those figures are basically the same, once a business gets to about four times operating profit in terms of debt, I get quite uncomfortable in terms of their ability to repay. So, yeah, if it's nearly at eight, it's double the point at which I'd be feeling quite uncomfortable. So I, I would just never in a million, I would not ne- like as a point, but it's like, just in terms of like, you know, it's just such a big red cross. I would never invest in a business where the debt is that higher prepared proportion, unless it was like, for example, like a one-off year and it's like, they'd had really low profits and it distorted the figure, but I, I don't think the profits are going back to where they were anytime soon. And that is a lot of debt. I shown by the fact that it's nearly three times the market cap. So yeah, I, I just wouldn't touch it. no, Fine. Okay. Moving swiftly on then. Kazoo, tech company. Yes. Yes. A debut on the show. It's also, it's actually operates in the UK, but it's our US listed company. So I don't, I'll just, I think it is actually, it's a, it's a UK business as well, actually. I think they've just lifted in, listed in the States to get a, to get a better valuation when they uh, went public, I suspect which has probably worked for them, actually. So in case you've not seen them on the adverts, they also sponsor Aston Villa, by the way, for anyone who watches the Premier League. Prince William's a big Villa fan. Oh, there you go. He probably uses Kazoo. And Um, David Cameron, too. Well, there you go. Probably two men, (laughs) potentially the faces of the next Kazoo adverts, then who knows? (laughs) However, for anyone who is not familiar, I'll just get this from their website. Our mission is to transform the car buying and selling experience across the UK by providing better selection, transparency, convenience and peace of mind. Our aim is to make buying or selling a car no different to ordering any other products online. where consumers can simply and seamlessly buy, sell and finance a car entirely online for delivery or collection in as little as 72 hours. Kazoo was founded in 2018 by serial entrepreneur Alex Chesterman OBE and is backed by some of the leading global technology investors. So it's basically like a car dealer, but it's purely online. So they will basically buy your car without looking at it. Although I suspect when they get there, if they find anything wrong with it, you get quite a lower price than you were expecting, as is the business model. So they've come out with their Q4 and full year results. They've said that since their launch in 2019, they've sold 120,000 retail units. And they're now focusing on the core UK market, which is worth approximately £100 billion a year. And they have brand awareness of over 80%. 2022 was a record year, and this is for the calendar year, with $1.25 of revenue and 65,366 retail units sold. So that's actually over half of the cars they've ever sold. They've also said they've largely exited EU businesses to fully focus on UK market. So what that means is this is purely a UK story. They've highlighted that they're disrupting the traditional model, so traditional dealership, Apparently only 67% in 2022 of respondents to their survey were likely to use a dealer to complete a car purchase, and that's down from 78% in 2019. And 52% would consider an online purchase for the next car, and that's up from 40% in 2019 as I will get into, I suspect these figures are slightly skewed by people's perceptions of using a dealer. However, I think for that seventy eight to sixty seven percent where people would consider using a traditional dealership, I think one thing that's not been included in that survey is the fact that a lot of the people who wouldn't use it have probably now gone to Auto Trader, a big favorite of the show. And I suspect they might be buying real auto trader to the dealers listed on Auto without realizing, or they would go on Auto Trader and look for the cheapest and not realize it's a dealer. So I think you're getting slightly distorted figures there because of the impact of Auto Trader on the UK market. In terms of their medium and long-term targets, they've said that today they have a market share of approximately one percent. In the medium term, they want to turn that to two percent, and in the long term, they want to turn it to five percent. So they did actually say in another presentation they did a couple of years ago. Where is it? Oh, So they've said the highest market share held by any operator is below 3% in the UK market, and they're only targeting 5% as their long-term target. So they've highlighted extremely low digital penetration and highly fragmented market. The Americans buying at the IPO may have bought that. However, anyone who probably lives in the UK is very familiar with the fact that although there might be, no one has a more than 3% market share, the reason that is so fragmented partially is because although no more than one dealer has more than 3% of the market a huge proportion of it is done on, on auto trader now and auto trader will have more than 3% interestingly i had a i actually had a look at some of auto trader's figures as well for the dealerships that are on there apparently now two out of every three of their sales are generated through the auto trader platform because Auto Trader is offering the platform, it won't have a market share. It will just be 100% or maybe slightly lower if there's a few tiny competitors like Kazoo. But in reality, it's massive. It's nowhere near as fragmented because all of these little dealers are listed on AutoTrader. So that's what you're going up against. So I think it's very, very misleading to present it this way. But anyway, into the results for the 2022 year, revenue is up. to 1.25 billion. Retail units sold up 88%, 65,000. Gross profit per unit was down 6% to 403 pounds per car. So very high growth figures. So where that gross profit's down, that means gross profit margin's down by 2% to 1.6%. And they've said that's due to inventory clearance early in 2022 and the push for growth. But there's been sequential improvement in quarter-on-quarter with stronger exit rate. The adjusted EBITDA, which... I'm not a huge fan of as a metric anyway. However, even that's down 51% to a adjusted EBITDA loss of $254 And they've said that's larger due to lower gross profit and investments to drive growth. However, they're talking about these investments to drive growth, but they've pulled out of Europe. And they've said earlier on, they've already got 80% brand awareness. So it's not like people aren't aware of them. So anyway, as well... It's sort of hidden because they've not really they've not really put it in here because they're giving you the adjusted EBITDA instead. However, the total statutory loss was actually seven hundred and four million pounds, and that's on one point two five billion of turnover, which is a really quite an impressive loss. They issued six hundred and thirty million dollars of convertible notes during the year. I can't imagine they're at fantastic interest rates. At this point, I sort of switched off because the results were terrible. So I didn't really go any further. And as well as that, I just felt like the business has been completely disingenuous that they're trying to pitch these sort of poxy little car dealerships as their competition when in reality their competition is auto trader and all these car dealerships can use auto trader and compete against them quite comfortably. I will have been in the 80% of customer, uh, consumers that are aware of Kazoo. I've seen them, they advertising strongly when i get my next car i wouldn't even think to go on kazoo i would just go straight to auto trader same if i was selling it and i think that's going to be the case for a lot of people i think to dislodge auto trader it it would be like trying to dislodge right move in property i think it's just they're too entrenched anyway if we go a little bit further in some of the figures they've only been listed a few years the figures have been terrible and Without going into too much detail, that is reflected in the share price. So they originally listed at about two hundred. Oh, in fact, it looks like on the day of the IPO, the high was two hundred and sixty-seven dollars a share. It's now two dollars seventy-two, so it's down about ninety-eight, ninety-nine percent, and still looks quite expensive. It's got a market cap of one hundred and four million dollars, which will be down from about ten billion when they listed and in fairness to them I I do think if they could get 10 billion listing over in the US I don't think they would have got anywhere near that in the UK I don't think I I think they did a really I think they really fair play to the management and like all the staff that were selling out because I think getting 10 billion for it especially given the business would have only been like a year or two old at that point I think they did fantastically well especially when you look at what the business has done since so yeah not not really a huge amount more to say interesting because it is primarily focused on the UK but I imagine a lot of the Americans that bought it on IPO had never even heard of Rightmove and just read the investor presentation and just thought we had this market where people are going to the dealers and no one's shopping online. And anyone that lives in the UK will know that's just not the case. Um, obviously, they do still operate, but they lose a lot of money. It looks pretty likely they're going to go bust in the next couple of years unless they carry on raising more and more finance. But when the market caps are low, I think they're going to struggle now to to raise the money that they need. So. So yeah, so I I think they're probably going bust in the next couple of years, even if they weren't, I wouldn't consider the the stock to be investable anyway, and I would just buy Rightmove, um, would not sorry, and i just buy Auto Trader, which I think is a fantastic <laughs> business. John, your thoughts on these results and the business?
0: Yeah, I, I just don't get the investment case for it, and I think as you ex- correctly explained, the role of Auto Trader in the UK the car market and. I think if you accept and realize what Autotrader is, and what Autotrader does, I don't think Kazoo really has much of a place there. I think it probably is reflected in some of these numbers and the share price too. It's also interesting that you mentioned people who sort of don't use dealers, but I think even those, or even those people who sort of traditionally would use dealers are still doing it but they're often not necessarily turning up at their local dealership they are going on to right move as well to then auto see auto trader have done that as well i mean i think it's great for the consumer because it's you know it encourages competition and i think it's also good for the smaller sort of more they sort of fragmented uh, smaller retailers in that they then get the whole audience, and they can compete in the game. It sort of, I suppose, drives the prices down, which I appreciate is not great for the dealers. The dealers have to pay it because so much, you know, it's a a portal for everyone to go onto. Unless you're, I suppose, unless you're buying brand, brand new, in which case I don't think it should matter. Although I have heard, I think there are other portals, there's CarWow, where you can sort of do a comparison of, buying a new car and then I think the dealers compete but I don't know that model too well but yeah I'm auto trader I do like it a lot a company maybe I should own it in addition to owning right move because it's fantastic kazoo and interestingly with kazoo I mean th- this is just point of trivia it was vct backed so I'm sure some people did very well out of that and probably very in a very tax efficient way
1: Another thing is, it says that only two point three eight percent of the shares are short, <laughs> which I okay. no, I I would actually I I don't short companies because I don't know enough about it. Yeah. But if I was somebody shorty companies, this is the kind of business I would be. This watching. is one
0: you wanted to. Do. Cause, yes. Yeah, because no, no. it, it,
1: it looks it looks really bad. Um, I don't think they'll be sponsoring Aston Villa for much longer as well because I think they're going to run out
0: of money. <laughs> okay.
1: Which is like. a shame, actually, because I guess it's one of the few sponsors. Is it Aston Villa the sponsor? It is, isn't it? Yeah,
0: it is. Yeah, yeah, It's a shame.
1: It's one of the few Premier League sponsors that's not a gambling company. Uh, but not yeah. for long.
0: I'm yeah, sure there no, is a not... gambling
1: company in Gibraltar ready to step into the void. Kazoo, <laughs> <going to create. laughs> um, right. So of the six businesses we've covered today, AG Bar, JD Weatherspoon, Next, Admiral, Carnival and Kazoo. If you had to buy one, which one would it
0: be? It's. I, mean, I know I had a, a few reservations about next, but it is a very easy choice this week and it is going to be next. I
1: would agree. If it wasn't next, it would be AG Bar, but it's quite a distant second for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I would agree with you there. And a lot of companies I just wouldn't touch for the barge pole.
1: Yeah, not been the best week for that. Although in, in Admiral's defence, I mean, the results didn't look very good anyway. But in Admiral's defence, even if they were good results, I w- it would have gone in the too hard pile
0: in any case. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again next time. See you next week. Thank you for listening to The Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIW This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.